Nantuck, Connecticut. He was feeling sick, and, and uh, I've been going over a study of principles, and um, we, no one wants to be called legalistic. You know what that, that is, where you, you live by strict laws, and you make everyone live by those strict laws, and if they don't live by your strict laws, then, you know, they're a heathen, they're going to hell, that sort of thing. You know, who, who here wants to be called a legalist? No, I didn't think anybody. Who here, here, who here would want to be a person of principles, though? Oh, yes. What's the difference? Anyone can tell me what's the difference between a man of principles and a legalist? I, I had trouble myself. So if you, if you can use my... Now, I have a fallen, a fallen mind, a mind influenced by the world and sin and all that kind of thing, so it's not a perfect mind. But if we can use something I'm thinking, when we look at legalists, it looks more as you're opposing something upon society, and it's more of an outward thing. When you go by principles, it's not so much an outward thing, it's you're conforming yourself and aiming at a goal to reach it. It's more of personal ethics rather than forcing a law upon society. Um, you know, if, if you break the principles, you're disappointed in yourself, right? You kind of wish we could go back to the day when a man's word was his bond. But to be completely honest, I've read the scriptures. I'm not sure if there ever was a real time in history. I think we just romanticized the past. Um, it's probably worse today than it is ever. But we, I was looking at principles and, and being a person of principles, and I, I think missionaries should be people of principles. So I have a ton of principles um, that I've been studying um, I've got 21 principles on knowing the will of God. I've got principles on studying the word of God. I've got principles um, that I used to have in high school and in elementary school, and they're not with me anymore. And I've got other principles. And, um, <laughs> okay. But I'm going to cover one of the principles that we have that we should live by a biblical principle to our life. And, um, of course, I'm going to tackle one of the hardest ones, probably the ones that everyone here thinks, oh, I don't need this principle in my life. And those, you know, it's the principle of rest. There's a principle of rest. And if we look at uh, Mark chapter 6, if you're there with me, and looking at verse 30, the Bible says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, remember, he had uh, taken them out and he had sent them out, allowing them to teach the kingdom. Uh, around the same time, John the Baptist is beheaded. Um, and they all come back to Jesus after, after a period, and they come back and they tell him uh, what they had seen, what they had done, what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart unto a desert place and rest a while. For there were many comings and goings, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've given to us, and both time to be work and a time to rest and a time to sleep. Uh, Lord, these things need to be in balance in our lives, so help us now as we uh, number our days and number our hours that we may uh, apply your word to them, that we may apply it uh, to life. We ask that you would be honored and glorified through the things that are said and done here tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the primary witness that a Christian uh, can give to our world uh, is a life of wholeness 
and balance. Now, when I say witness, of course, I mean, if you're going to preach the gospel, you preach the gospel. But you're not giving freedom. You're not giving salvation. You're not giving forgiveness. That wasn't yours to give. It's, it's, you can't forgive somebody their sins. Only God does that. You can't pay the price for their atonement. Christ already did that. Um, you know, it's, it's not so much them accepting Christ. Christ or God already accepted Christ's payment on the cross. Um, there is that. But as far as what you can do, and uh, again, this is completely different from what's known as lifestyle evangelism. Um, there's actually no such biblical thing as lifestyle evangelism. Uh, that's called pride. And you look at the tenets of lifestyle evangelism, and it's all earthly. It's all pride. Um, but as far as what you should be able to do, as far as your testimony, as far as what your testimony ought to be at the workplace or, uh, or in your neighborhood, you ought to have this testimony that you have a life that is whole and in balance. How many of us think, you know, when we got saved, oh, or even now that you are saved, oh, the Lord should make my life better, you know, because I'm saved, become a Christian. The Lord should automatically just make my life better, right? Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 says, and ye are complete in him. Finished. You're already done. You know all the stuff that we're groping about, moping about? That's all excess. The stuff that you want, the boat, the, you know, the nice fishing rod, the nice hunting rifle. Hey, I like those things, but that's excess. The Bible says we are complete in him. Everything we have, everything we need, we find in God. Everything. James 1.4 says... And but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Wouldn't it be great if we could sit back and say, I am satisfied. I am content. I have a whole message I like to preach around Christmas time called, My Wanter is Broken. You know, the things I want really are not that either good for me or, you know, they don't benefit me at all. My wanter is broken. Um, but here even scripture is saying, allow patience, allow the trials to have their perfect work in your life. And so when you come through it, you'll come through it saying, I am satisfied. Or as the songwriter said, it is well with my soul. You know, there's not a lot known about the songwriter who wrote that song, but you know what that, who that hymn really affected were American soldiers in World War II. That song touched so many of their hearts and saw many of them trusting Christ as their Savior because of that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Though friends desert me and friends leave me and they're thinking about how their soldier buddies were shot up or lost, how one man lost his entire platoon in one afternoon, all his friends from boot camp and everything, now they're gone. How can he sing It Is Well With My Soul? in Christ, in God, in him. Again, the Bible says we are complete. Hebrews 6, verse 19 says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entered into that within the veil. See, we have a hope. We have an anchor 
that is sure and steadfast. These winds of life, they come and they blow, and they make us feel like we need things, we want things, we, we desire things, or that we're lacking in, in certain areas. But we have an anchor that's sure and secure. We have an anchor that if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, your home is in heaven. And nothing can move you from that. Nothing can shake your destiny from that. Nothing can take you out of the love of God. You really are complete. You really are complete. God has given us so much, but he has only just given us the right amount of strength, stamina, and time to do the things which he has called us to do. You see, we can overcommit. There are some people who overcommit at, at work. They say, oh, the, the boss comes around. Who can do this? Who can do this? Who can do this? Who can do this? And they're, they're busy doing these sorts of things. They're called workaholics. And if you define a workaholic, it is a person who does not know how to sit down. And give them credit. They get things done, do they not? We all know people who are workaholics, and they get things done. But so many times they're going to run into a burnout. And then once you hit a burnout, you very rarely ever recover. Um, missionary work can be very stressful. I do not speak from experience as far as on the field mission experience. But I know missionaries who have been on the field and they feel like they're the only ones who have to work. And they work the field, they work the field, they work the field, but they don't get anyone to help them and they don't take time off, and they don't take time with their family, and either one, they lose their family because they fall into sin, they completely burn out and have a stress attack. What is that, a stress attack? Panic attack, anxiety attack, yeah. They, they get an overload, and they completely burn out, and then what are they good for on the foreign field? Nothing. I, can, I could have brought missionaries with me who, well, I couldn't actually because they're busy right now. They're, they're the workaholics. But um, I could tell you stories of missionaries who their mission director went to the field and says, you are going on a five-week vacation starting immediately because you are about to burn out. And they sit there and like, no, I'm busy. I'm doing things. I got to do this. I got to get going. And no, effective immediately. And then after the five weeks, you see, it takes them the first two or three weeks to really unwind. And they realize, wow, I was so stressed out. See, Christ, even when the disciples, they come back from this work, he says, okay, now take, your, take a side step. Let's go into a desert place and rest a little while. Why? Because God made the human body to rest. You say, well, isn't it a condition of the fall? No. What did God make the seventh day specifically for? Rest. Six days you have to work. The seventh day you rest and you worship God. That's what we need to do. And people can overexert themselves and people can over... Um, uh, what I have here, the, the word I have is overcommit, but you can even overcommit to ministry as I showed you the missionary example. Um, moreover, um, two other groups. This is an older one. Movers and mopers. How many of you know that phrase? Movers and mopers. Movers are people who are at work and they just get stuff done. They kind of keep to themselves, but they just get things done. And we all like them. Um, there's a whole lot more I can say on them, on their attitude and how to help them, but I'm not going to for sake of time. 
But the uh, second group, you have mopers. You have everyone who comes along and they just want to tell you how hard they have it. You know, they, they're at work or you're working with them. Oh, I can't believe the boss wants me to come in on Saturday. He's always asking me to come in on Saturday or I've got to do this project. And what are you thinking, you know? Welcome to reality. You know, I, I had people who worked under me when I worked in the gas company and they said, word for word, they said this, I can't believe he actually expects me to work for my paycheck. <laughs> I honestly didn't know how to handle that. I thought, think about what you just said. You know, it's, I wanted to slap him, but if I slapped him, he, he probably wouldn't work for me and the job he was doing, I didn't want to do. So I just get back to work. And uh, we both ended up getting laid off because warmer temperatures, gas prices, all those sorts of things. Ah, see, I'm moping right now, aren't I? Yeah, welcome to life. So basically what Christ is saying, and it's true we have to take this into our own lives, into our own counts, you have to take time to step aside and relax. I know, uh, you know what, I call pastors all the time, and you know, I can't remember but a handful of them that really are happy to hear from me. Um, but even so, you get, I get, oh, summer's a busy time. Oh, fall's a busy time. Oh, winter's a busy time. Oh, spring is a busy time. Pastor, I don't know if you ever don't have a busy time. You know, one pastor, I, I, got, I contacted him this week, and he just got done his missions conference, and we're going on to a fall conference. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, well, are you going to have another missions conference next year? Let's book for next year. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do for next year. We're, we're really busy right now. I'm focusing on this. And I've, I've gone to places for a missions conference that almost nothing was prepared because they were just coming off another conference or another thing. And, you know, it, it's great to be busy. You know, it, it's wonderful. Idle hands are a devil's workshop. You've heard that said before, and it's true. However, if you never take a break, you're going to burn out. And then you're not going to be much use to anything. Um, I know this is, this is a paradox. It's kind of, you've got to rest in order to work. Does that make sense? No, of course not. Um, <laughs> point number two, so we can move on and get out of here. The primary work of the believer is not so much in doing as it is in being. Think about that for a moment. The primary work of the believer is not so much doing as it is being. So the question arises, are you spiritual because of what you do? Are you spiritual because of what you do? It sounds good, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly the way the world thinks. You ever see the old colonialists, the old uh, congregationalists who used to whip themselves in the back? You know, you can go today and you can go to some cathedrals where Catholic proselytes, they get down on their knees and they crawl up the stairs, these big block stone stairs on their knees, saying a prayer. You know, there are people who harm themselves and people who do acts thinking that that somehow earns them merit with God. You see, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are and whose you are. That's the difference. That's the difference. You, 
you can be a religious nut but not be spiritual. Coincidentally, I heard one person say, you know, you're, some people are so uh, heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Well, if you're earthly minded, earthly minded you're good for nothing. So you, you've got to have some heavenly mindedness. Um, I've never run into one of those other people yet. God knows I'll probably run into one someday, but anyway. So Matthew chapter five, verse 13 and 14, Christ's Sermon on the Mount, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. He does not say you, you act as salt or you act as light. He says, you are the salt. You are the light. And you can lose your saltiness. It's not so much what you do, it says who you are. Acts 1 and verse 8, he says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now we know a witness is one who witnesses of or who testifies of. But he does not say, You shall witness of me. He says, You will be witnesses. He says, he says to Peter, you know, come follow me and I will make you fish for men. I will make you a fisher of men. Africa, certain parts of Africa, they have a, uh, they have a proverb, the Christians do, that says, Lord, I want to thank you that you have turned us headhunters into soul hunters for Christ. And that sounds great. Soul Hunters Baptist. You know. He says, you made us into this and now we go and do it. Colossians chapter, or 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are are become new. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. Our third point, the Christian's primary procedure for growth is reflection. This can only happen in times of rest. The Christian's primary uh, source and procedure for growth is in reflection. How often do you stop and examine your life? You know, that's what the Bible says we're to do. We're supposed to look at this like we look into a mirror every morning. We need to reflect on our lives, reflect on who we are, reflect on how we're behaving, and then change accordingly. Psalms, Psalms 46, verse 10, would probably solve almost all of our anxiety problems, all of our troubled souls, all of our anxious spirits. The verse simply says this, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That would solve so many of our problems, wouldn't it not? Lord, I don't know how we're going to do that. Be still and know that I am God. Psalms 1 4. 104 verse 34, he says, My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Is your meditation of God sweet in the morning when you read his word? Is your meditation, is your thought of him sweet? Is your focus 
on what God has for us? Is it a disciplined thought on the particular ideas that God gives you? Are you glad or are you grumpy? These are things you, you look at yourself in a reflection in, in your times, your break times. Proverbs 23, verse seven says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And then the very famous verse in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Why are you here? What are you doing? And where are you going? These are all questions that can only be answered in your time of rest. You can only answer these things. And, and when you rest, again, when you look at these things, God made it so you took a whole day to do this. He didn't give you a whole day just for football, and I love watching football. You know, I'm, I don't play football. I'd, I'd like to keep my limbs all in good working order and not have concussions. But he gave us an entire day to reflect on who he is and reflect upon our own hearts and our own lives to change for his honor and for his glory. And this is the first step. If you're gonna have any of the other principles effective in your life, if you're gonna have any of the other principles take effect and, then, and to live as a person of principles, you've gotta start by stopping, examining yourself before God, and then you can change. Our primary liability the one thing we have to worry about is worldliness. Again, when we talk about a lot of this stuff, it's our testimony. The worldliness, Romans 12 and verse two says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. First John chapter two and verse 15, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. And see, the fact of the matter is that we love the world so much that we sacrifice everything for it. Don't we? We sacrifice our time for worldly things. We sacrifice our peace and our finances for worldly things. And we even sacrifice our energy for worldly things. And the funny thing about the whole thing is, is the more you hustle the more you, you, you run and run and run and run and you're not thinking about things, the more you will find yourself becoming worldly at, at whatever it is you are doing. The longer you take time and keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing towards a certain goal, you're gonna find yourself using worldly methods and using a worldly outlook and, and worldly procedures and, and that's not right. It simply is not right. There are people who are so worldly even in trying to grow a church. There's a whole book written, well, there's actually lots of books written on it. Now, the book of Jude is one of them. Um, there are whole groups of people who they try to push and grow their church, and they're, they're so focused on their church growing that they completely forget that God already told them how to grow a church in the Bible. Does anyone know how, God, how Jesus told them to build a church? 
You make disciples. Okay, that's great. That's how you build a church. That's how you edify believers. That's wonderful. That's great. How do you build a crowd? The Bible says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You want to know why so many churches really aren't growing? They don't lift up Christ. They don't lift up Christ. Now, there are several reasons that a church can't grow, but one of the reasons that people look like they're busy worrying and trying to go around and trying to make sure their church has Wi-Fi and make sure their church has screens and, and make sure that they're, uh, it's no more a platform or a, a, they call it a stage now because they're putting on a show for you. It's no more trying to help people. Now it's, I've got to look cool and I've got to look hip. and I've lo- You've left it. You've left the principal thing. Christ says, you've left your first love. Wasn't that one of the churches there in, Re- in uh, Revelations? You're busy about all these things, yet you left your first love. Erwin Lutzer wrote this, Worldliness is excluding God in our, or from our lives and therefore consciously or unconsciously accepting the values of a man-centered society. Let me say that again. Worldliness is excluding God from our lives and therefore consciously or unconsciously accepting the values of a man-centered society. If we are not nourished by the bread of heaven, we we will satiate ourselves with the crumbs from the world. If you do not take time apart and take time with God, you will find yourselves trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment out there. And you will not find it. You will not find it. Ask Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He tried to live around the principles. He tried to find the loopholes. If the wisest man couldn't get through the loopholes and find satisfaction outside of God, what makes you think you're going to do it? I may think I'm smart, but I ain't that smart. Lastly, our primary asset is the sovereignty of God. He said, ye are complete in him. If you are in him, you are a new creature. Be still and know that I am God. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. In Revelations 19, 6, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the voices of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You see, he is a sovereign Lord. He is a sovereign God. He does rule and reign. And no matter whether you believe in the Russian cahoots with Trump or not, Romans chapter 13 clearly states that the reason that Trump is in office is because God deemed him to be there. The same goes for Putin. Some are raised to vessels for honor. Others are raised for dishonor and for destruction. And time will tell what each of them have been raised for. But it is God who raises them up. 
What have you to worry then? He said, if you look at the sparrow and God feeds the sparrow and you look at the flower, which is here only for a day and, you know, Solomon was not robed as one of these. Will not your heavenly father freely give you all things, though he spared not even his own son? Be still and know that he is God. Be still and know. Trust in him. Rest in him. Find your completeness and wholeness in him. And a lot of this anxiety that we face, and a lot of the turmoil, all vanish away. See, even in ministry, I don't have to worry too much. I've got a lot of work cut out for me in Africa. I've got a lot of work cut out for me this summer. And I'm sure if it wasn't enough, I'd get out a pair of scissors and cut out some more. But he is in management. I'm just in sales. I don't have to worry. Everything I have, Acts 17 says, everything I have has been given to me by the hand of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not Father, you freely have given us all things. Benjamin Franklin said there are two things are are certainty, death and taxes. Lord, you paid our sin debt. You took away death, sin, hell, and the grave. Sin's off that list for the Christian. Or death is off that list. Lord, we look at our finances, sometimes we anguish, we struggle, and sometimes we make bad decisions. But Lord, you can help us to bounce back. You have the cattle on a thousand hills, these things that help keep us up late at night. Instead of worrying about our checkbook, let us worry about how we are in a relationship with you. Let us remind ourselves that we serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He owes no man anything but he gives freely to those who are a humble and a contrite heart. Lord, tonight there may be some who's they're, they're anxious, their anxiety is, is kicking off about something, but they can be complete in you. They can find their satisfaction in you, whether it's a health issue, whether it's financial, whether it's a job-related issue. You are the one that gives us all things and you've, you've placed us where we are so you could receive the honor and glory. You treated the man who was lame that was lowered down on his bed. You treated his sin problem before you treated his physical problem because the sin debt was so much more important. But then he also treated his physical problems. Lord, you will do that too to anyone who has faith in you. Lord, we ask that you would be honored and glorified, that your name would be praised and uplifted in the hearts and lives of the people here tonight. Let us wait and see and trust that you are God. We ask these things in Christ, the Savior's name. Amen.